1: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those
2: those boys.
1: Said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't
2: you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: It's the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast. I'm Mike Devitt here with Kieran Murphy and Ken Early. Hi, guys. Hey, hey
3: Owen. How, are you? how you doing? And hello to you too, Ken.
1: One of the nicest parts of doing this job is when you interview a sports person you'd never heard of before And that person charms you to such an extent that you can't wait to see what they do next in their lives and in their careers It doesn't always work out perfectly, I should say mm-hmm. We were all charmed by the rags to riches story of the boxer Lamont Peterson a few years back That is, yeah that Only is for him to get busted for performance enhancing drugs a couple of weeks later Listen, even Homer nods, you know, <laughs> Owen, uh, we were are allowed one slip up from time to time, sure uh, and, and he's back now, Lamont is back Yeah, and He's, he's sure, actually yeah. headlining the bill that Andy Lee's on uh, co-headlining, if if, if I uh, have that info correct. But anyway, sometimes it works out just beautifully. Last October, we had the winner of the Dublin Marathon in studio, Elliot Too, a uh, Kenyan. He was in with one of his coaches at Indiana State University, an Irish guy called Neil Fleming. And Elliot's story was amazing. He told us he came from what he called a humble background in a rural part of Kenya. His flight over to the US last year was his first time in a plane. Uh, that was Nairobi to Qatar to Philadelphia to Indianapolis. Oh, so well, n- nice way to start. A- <laughs> Just dive in at the deep
3: end. Yeah.
1: His parents were getting on a bit and he wanted to provide for them. He had a lot of younger siblings who he wanted to send to school. So the 10,000 euro prize money from winning the marathon was going to help him change the lives of a lot of people around him, essentially. Cut to a video. This is, so this is last October we spoke to him. Cut to a video posted on our Facebook page last week.
3: Welcome, our second captain. Uh, welcome to Kenya. Uh, I want to take you to our tour
1: in our home. Okay, I want to introduce you to my new cars that I bought after winning the Dublin City Marathon. This first one is called Keran and uh, sometimes it is very intelligent. Sometimes it is in a trivia show. And uh, this other next one is called uh, Kenali. And uh, let's take you, let's continue to the house. Yes, that is Elliot Too, the Dublin Marathon winner, who, as well as naming cows after Ken Early and Kieran Murphy, if you want to go on to secondcaptains.com, you can see the entire video. He has built a new house for members of his family. He's done a load of work there on the land that they have. It's all. It's absolutely, it really is touching before we get on to the the of the cows. Brings
2: a tear to your eye, Owen, no doubt. But yeah. Because I... Well, yeah. I, well, look, you, I, I really, I really admire the job you're doing here, keeping the chin up in the, uh, in the it's face of. What well, it was it's a tough. pretty, a pretty blatant snub from Elliot? A public, a pointed snub because yeah. Owen was the man who met Elliot and uh, Neil when they arrived here, uh, shook his hand, sat down with him, did the entire interview, uh, not a sausage. Talked, chatted away afterwards. Then Elliot left. I actually met Elliot coming into the building then. And uh, we, we spoke briefly downstairs for maybe two minutes.
1: Murph was away. I think Murph might have been on holidays. Well, Murph never even, even yeah. met Eddie. You
2: never even met Elliot. And uh, I don't know. Did he, did he name it? Not even in the end? I mean, was Not even a
1: bag of maize, Gabe? Or a chicken. <laughs> that's, uh,
2: that's, that's too bad.
1: So Murph's cow is... Sometimes, sometimes intelligent. Sometimes you give Elliot a shove.
3: Yeah. But, uh, possibly while, while uh, being milked. Uh, that, that My cow... My 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 cow alter ego does not enjoy being milked, uh, but sometimes it tells I mean, I'll take that certainly. No that, comments for you, Ken.
1: That was that, that was that bit wasn't edited. skulking around. Uh, yeah, my yeah, my, my, just my said cow that, just this is Ken, away. and then he moves
2: on. If yeah. you if you saw the video, my cow just sort of um, he, he's, he's dumb
3: as a lamppost as well. By the way,
2: and he and he just uh, runs off as soon as at the, at the, as soon as Elliot mentions his name. I mean, mm. you say dumb. But you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? He put a lot of distance between himself and Elliot when he heard himself being mentioned. So Mm. herself, probably. Yeah. Let's that's, be fair. Yeah, that, that's... It's, it's unlikely he's got a couple of bulls. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Elliot, if you're listening, you're forgiven. And congratulations on all the great stuff you're Amazing doing over there. Amazing video. Amazing video. Absolutely brilliant. Get on to Thanks to you and to your coach, James Walters, for making that video. As we said in our website, it was a great present to get on our second birthday. Second captains is officially two years old now. Thanks so much for your support over those couple of years. It's been a blast so far and... We'll, we'll continue to be hopefully, but we've gone from the the edifying to the unedifying. Ken, last night's the dark side. Of the dark Lord. side of sport. Last night's spitting
2: controversy. Dear, oh dear, um, and everybody has has uh, said. I mean, everybody who accepts that there was a bit of spitting going on uh, says that's the worst thing that a, a man can do to another yeah, man. Yeah,
1: Lexi Lada said, "I'd rather be punched in the face than be spat at."
2: I'd rather be spat at personally.
1: It, it, I think I'd rather get a punch in the face. Well, does it not depend? Hang on. It's as though there's this blanket idea that a punch in the, pa- the face is a punch in the face. I mean, would you prefer to get your nose broken, for example, by a punch in the face? No, no. Just a standard
3: regulation, GA pitch, punch in the face. Which is to say a glancing blow of very little force and little skill. Well, that's very I mean, specific. Alexi
1: Lalas wasn't as specific when he tweeted. Yeah. Well,
3: a punch in the face, uh, you know. In the, in the normal run of the mail of sporting activity, a punch in the face usually means... Bit of grappling. Some guy throws an elbow. Another guy gives you a little dig in the cheekbone. You know, there's it's 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 not. You know, you're not dealing with practiced. You know, uh, pugilists here. Yeah. You know, you could probably get away with minimal damage from a punch in the face, but a spit on the other head. All. Well, you
2: get you definitely get away with minimal damage from a spit. Yeah,
3: I mean, mean there's no you'll, risk you'll, there. You'll, yeah,
2: you'll get away with no damage. Um, I I was, uh, I mean, Paul Skull's is probably the only person I saw who, who suggested that um, Johnny Evans probably didn't bear any responsibility for spitting.
1: Yeah, straight away, Skulls was well. I, I know the guy, and <laughs> it's not that's to for me. that. Yeah,
2: I know the guy. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's something that that uh, everybody everyone is capable of doing. Skulls actually then brought in the uh, the extra piece of evidence. Well, if he wanted to spit in them there, he'd he'd you know it wouldn't be difficult to hit him there, wouldn't it? I mean he misses him. You know what I mean? If he if he wanted to spit in him there, I don't think he'd miss. Ignoring the fact that Papi C say then goes straight up to Johnny Evans and from a distance of about six inches misses him <laughs> with the spit that he's trying to carefully aim at his no, listen, at maybe, his neck.
3: Maybe there you know other households don't run, you know, like the Skulls household does, where Paul sits at with the sits, spittoon <laughs> sits on the couch <laughs> on a Sunday, turns on Super Sunday, gets the spittoon in place. <laughs> And gets to work.
2: Yeah. Ping, he, he can ping it like 40 <laughs> yards. It's just any any kind of projectile. Yeah, He
3: can hit a lad 40 yards away. He's essentially England's trading.
2: American sniper. You know what I mean? It's just that <laughs> luckily he's mainly been working with footballs and things that you spit. But he's got laser accuracy with any of those things. Paul skulls just can't relate to Johnny Evans spitting in the general direction. I mean, look, the fact is... Spitting at someone is enough. And actually, that's what the FIFA rule says, I think. Spitting at someone. You don't actually have to hit them. You don't... It doesn't have... To, the globule of spit doesn't have to hang from their hair. You know, Yeah, we're all, Bonner, yeah what we're all thinking Rudy Votter. It doesn't have to be... It doesn't have to be that spectacular. Just spitting at someone. Because it's, it's its such a gesture. It's such a provocative gesture of disrespect. I mean, there's... It's, it's like the... It's... It's the simplest form of non-verbal disrespect.
1: And it seems to be one of those things that it's not... There are certain other forms of... Actually, another non-verbal form of disrespect which is seen as a massive deal in England. Briefing
2: someone while sitting on the toilet?
1: No, no, just...
3: Or refusing
1: to shake someone's hand. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's seen as a massive Uh, deal in the UK. And, And I think nowhere else in the world is it seen as anywhere near as serious. Whereas it seems pretty uniform globally that... Spit, being spat at or spitting at somebody, it's not good.
2: Well, I mean, it's spitting is way worse than the not shaking the hand thing. I mean, imagine... I Arson, would have
1: thought so, but if you think... Imagine no, no. Arsene
2: Wenger on the sideline was to not only not shake Alan Pardew's hand, but <laughs> but lean down and spit <laughs> into his face. Now, that would definitely yeah. attract headlines. I think from outside the sport. I yeah. think from, I think, you know, the Washington Post would have, hmm, you know, in England... Football, you know, so you know you know the way those headlines yeah, are yeah. written. But um yeah, it's um it's it's grim. Uh, they are both I, I assume get banned. I would say it should be for the same length of time each, even though the CSA one is, you know, it's a it's a real well, I'm gonna get you I mean to me he's retaliating for something that Evans has done. It's an equivalent thing. CSA's
1: yeah, everyone's saying that CSA CSA's is worse because it's more clear that it was deliberate. But there is the argument that Johnny Evans is, is worse because he's the one who got it into his head in the first place to spit on somebody else. I'm not saying he the best it. reaction. He started it. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. That's not a great defence for say i I'm going I'm to immediately roll back on that. But I saw Louis van Hal afterwards, Ken, said that um, it was po- possibly the best performance of the season for Man United. He might have said
3: a yeah. way performance. Uh, I no, know, know. he said I it was our, performance, our yeah. best performance thought, of the season. I yeah.
2: thought they were... Well, they haven't really played that well, well in a lot of games. So maybe he was right.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I didn't think it was a good performance. No. I, I, I mean, I thought that um, I thought they gave away a couple of chances. I mean, the one thing that you can say is that they did miss a couple of clear chances. There was Ashley Young had a really simple chance, which he took too long over and ended up putting a Tim Krul. Uh, Wayne Rooney had a chance that he put wide in the first half. They also scored uh, an offside goal, which wasn't offside. So, you know, if these things had gone the other way, maybe the game doesn't look quite as close. I mean, I thought Newcastle were absolutely atrocious. Newcastle were were appalling. It's You know, they were playing so badly. It was almost like, it's the kind of thing, a team that's bet against itself might do some of the stuff that Newcastle are doing here. You know what I mean? I'm not suggesting they are. It's just that...
3: (laughs) There was a lot of falling over. When you see Collagini falling
2: falling over... Yeah. Yeah you know and then tim Krull i don't know what was going through tim Krul's head at the time but he did laser the ball to the feet of the only other match in, in the box, in the box. <laughs> so i i just thought that's newcastle have played have played badly there and i i was surprised that it took manchester united so long to get the lead The victory didn't surprise me um, although in the, in the end it did maybe when you score so late, I, I expected them to win all throughout the game. But uh more
1: realistically, Newcastle players <laughs> there's a, an assumption that they're going to play for their manager here. They want to get this guy the job next season. I'm not quite sure why that is being assumed by pundits. It could well be that we don't know how good a coach this guy is, how good a manager he is. But it could well be that some players are thinking, well, we're in mid table. We're not going to get relegated. We're not going to get into the Champions League. <sighs> Maybe we'll just. There's no need to go over the top here. This manager hasn't blown my so, hasn't knocked my socks off just yet.
2: The manager is about the least relevant thing to those Newcastle players I could possibly imagine. I mean, there's things that obviously they can play for. There is the fact that they are footballers. And they're playing a home game under floodlights against Manchester United in front of a capacity St James's Park. <sighs> You know, just in and of itself. Not everything has to be part of some Machiavellian scheme, you know, to advance your interest in the world. This is kind of a worthwhile game to play in. <laughs> Maybe there are still some football players in that Newcastle team who, who think, yeah, you know, this is, this is actually worth giving. But then, you know, if you were to leave that aside, assuming that the sort of childlike motivation has died away in, in each and every last one of them, there's always the possibility of winning yourself a transfer. Here I am playing in a big game that a lot of people are going to watch, including, for instance, Lee Van Hal. Uh, maybe uh, maybe I can impress a few people here. That's, to me, a more re- realistic motivation than John Carver.
1: After recording our podcast on Monday, Murphy raced back to the office to watch Podrick Harrington zoom back into the Irish sporting consciousness. It was great.
3: I had forgotten. Well, it was great. It was also bloody torturous. Uh, I had forgotten just how the sort of emotional ringer that uh, Podrick Harrington puts <laughs> you through. Uh, at the exact moment where we thought on the 17th tee, Two powers will do you here, Park. There's no one else on the course. Six under is the leader in the clubhouse. You stay on seven under, you've got this one in the bag. Q. Mm. Uh, Porter Carrington blasting it into the water, double bogeying, then driving into the bunker on the 18th. <laughs> You're like, oh, God, no, no, no. And uh, from there, mix birdie, wins wins the playoff uh, with that brilliant shot in the second playoff hole in the... On the seventeenth, wouldn't if he would just done that the first time around, he, we could all have relaxed and enjoyed ourselves. Uh, but amazing, absolutely! I love the reaction
1: as well on Twitter. Uh, one of the I'm tweets crazy, I, I, yeah. enjoy, I enjoyed most was Paul Flynn, the Dublin footballer, saying, "I'm not sure what I'm more impressed by: Potter Harrington holding that put on the eighteenth to take it into a playoff, or the amount of people who seem to be able to watch this live at four, <laughs> yeah. four o'clock on a Monday afternoon." <laughs>
3: In fairness, there were quite a few people stuck at or stuck at work, not being able to watch it, and. Getting extremely frustrated at their ju- with their jobs, yeah, at their, and, at their successful careers. Well, no, at the fact. Well, at the fact that they couldn't uh, that they couldn't watch it. But there was a lot of just guttural text messages from people watching it, like, ah, what, what, what happened? As if you're trying to figure out what actually happened, it's not very informative, you know. So you're sitting here and all you're seeing is just all of these yes tweets. He's done it. It's like, what's he done? I don't know what he's done. Uh, Do so what, imagine, when, where, why? Yeah, there's was, there was not a lot of people following the, those journalistic principles. Just mainly guttural noises. Shane
1: Lowry, conveyed I think Shane Larry stopped just short of declaring Potter Carrington the greatest human being mm. that's ever walked the he earth. short of that. <laughs> just yeah. short of that, so well done, Shane, and just about keeping your, your bearings there. But uh, no, it was lovely stuff. I'm going to talk to you, S. Murph about that in a little while. Simon's popped over because, Simon, you met up with Ireland's box-kicking superstar, Conor Murray, this week.
4: Yes, I did. Uh, compliments ringing in his ears from another brilliant performance against England and nothing but goodwill and good feeling around the Irish team at the moment. And I suppose one of the things that comes with it and maybe Joe Schmidt's the one thing he really hates is expectation. He even spoke about it after last year's championship. He talks about it in every press conference. He's always trying to dampen it down. But I tried to get a feel off Conor for the player
5: side of it. Just do they actually hate expectation rising like this? Um, no, I, th- I think you're aware of it nowadays. I, I don't think there's any avoiding it, whether it's online or True friends, through family, you know, you you always find out what people are saying about the team or, yeah. or yourself in somehow, um, whether you like it or not. So I think it's just part and parcel of of the modern game. Um, but when we when we need to, or when you need to get away from it, like I say, we're out in Carton House or wherever, we're kind of in our own little bubble and our day is so built are filled with, um, say we're looking at Wales next week, our week will be filled with looking at Wales, training towards Wales and then downtime looking after yourself and like i'll just if, if i want to switch off like you go to the room and, and, and watch house of cards or something like that and, and just completely switch off you know you don't go looking for it you don't you don't want to know about it you know it's there but you can't really do anything about that you yeah. know all you can do is look towards the next game and try and win that um is but it's the great. friends
4: and family side of it that's a bit harder to deal with because that's
5: obviously closer to you whereas you can shut out media uh, yeah yeah I, I don't know like I, I do, don't listen to media. I don't. I don't. I don't let it affect me. Um, you know, and, and most players will tell you the same thing. I don't think it's like it's great, and it, it can be. It, it's accurate most of the time, but sometimes some some people just say something for the sake of it, and then that can put someone off, or it can, you know, you see certain certain people really have a vendetta against certain types of players or whatever. So it's just something that isn't worth reading or, or listening to. So in terms of family, family always seem to see the media or read read what's yeah. said about it and they, they always will trickle it back and I'm constantly warning my family to stop reading the <laughs> newspapers and things like that. But like even when it's good like they'll trickle it back to you like st- or like or if it's a stat. You don't want really to hear the good stuff either. You do? Uh, not really, not yeah. really. Yeah, you would, you would of course, yeah. Um, but like when they when they they tell you a stat like or something like that, you know they've seen it somewhere and they're just regurgitating it. You know like, where did you see, where did you read that? And I like, know oh I know I know it myself. And you're like, not you're lying to me. Um, but it's yeah, it's just no. Um, Family wise, uh, in terms of them saying it to you, no, I think they, they just want what's best for you and and if. if they know if I'm if I lose a game or if I'm in bad form, they know not to really talk about they don't really talk about rugby. I try not to talk about rugby that much with my family anyway because you have it so much, you know. Obviously they wanna know about how you're doing and how, yeah. how things are going and and, that, and that's fine, but um particularly when you lose a game or if they know they just know by you that you're not you're not up for talking about rugby, they kinda of leave it go, which is which is fine. So yeah. it takes a little bit of getting used to obviously at the start they're they're quite excited about the whole whole thing and, and now they have they've gotten used to it and they know how to how to approach me. <laughs> yeah. What always strikes me about your career,
4: because I, I was at a game in Thomond where I think at the time you were maybe third in line and it's only two, maybe three years ago. And I know you weren't necessarily a superstar growing up, but then once at every level that you went up, you dealt with it and, and got better and better and better. And there's certain guys who stall like they're superstars at schools and at 18, 19, they sort of stay the same. Whereas you sort of seem like a guy who's able to work out Whatever hasn't been going right, and and fixing it and getting better each year. Is there like a mental process for you where you're doing that?
5: Um, do you know not 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 trying to be funny or, or give you a weird answer. I think it's whatever way I made up. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I suppose it it's probably is a blessing that that you weren't that big a name in schools rugby or or whatever. Um, I've seen that in players. You know, it's yeah. probably been a curse in some players to be a be a big uh, like you said a superstar name in school and then. As you grow, as they grow up and grow up, the the expectation keeps on growing with them, and you know, and sometimes in school, to put it simply, like the the superstar might just be bigger than everyone else, yeah. and, and then when they, everyone else starts growing up, they, they kind of catch up to that person, which which can be a, a kind of a curse. So um I don't know. I, th- I think it's it, it's probably just the way I am and, and the process and the, and the way it all happened that that I, that I was able to learn as I went, to, so to speak, and and and, and kind of develop along with it. I don't, I, don't really, I don't really know what mental process I have. I know I'm quite competitive and I always want to do things right. Um, and, and I think that marries into the, to the way I train and, and, and the, the way I, I approach rugby. You've never been cowed by uh, each level that you've gone up to?
4: Because I, I was reading quotes from you a few weeks ago about the first time you went out to Carton House and I think Brian Adriscoll and a couple of other big names were out there and it felt a little daunting. Mm. But the second you went on the field, you were vocal and you were confident.
5: Yeah, I think I think that was the thing. Uh, the, like being vocal on the pitch is, is something that you you need to be as a nine, and I, I had been doing it since I was since I was young. You know, it's part and parcel of your position. So, yeah, going to Carton House that first time was daunting because you, you spent I'd never been with Brian or anyone like that. I was I was watching them on TV, and they were these people in a far off land. And then to to come up close in person and be in a squad with them was was a bit weird at the start. But then once you start training and like they they talk to you like which is the biggest thing ever like yeah. and they kind <clears> of <throat> you're one of them or whatever like it, it becomes a lot easier but when you when you step onto the training pitch I know it's with different people but it's something that you've been doing for years and and it's just something that comes comes naturally to you um so that's probably where it helps you kind of settle in a little bit easier you know yeah
4: from from the outside looking in looking at the six nations Ireland are getting better game by game and that seemed to happen last six nations as well particularly the Italy and France games mm. were your best performance in France you really sort of nailed it as a fifteen or, a, or as a squad. Mm. It, is it going the same way again? Does it feel the longer you're with Joe, the better the team gets?
5: Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. And I, we were talking about earlier about this ten games in a row thing that mm. um, that has cracked up since we since we won at the weekend. You know, it's it's because we've had more time together as a squad. Like around it was november last year um it was joe's first time in the squad uh with us and so we were we were getting to know joe. joe was getting to know us and we're a year and a bit further down the line now and we we understand each other a bit more and it's 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 falling into place a little bit easier you know and and obviously to start to the six nations we hadn't been together as a squad and hadn't been playing together in quite some time so to come together and, and try and catch up with each other and get get to where we were is always going to be difficult so naturally as you go along in a competition you, you, you should get you should get better and you should get more complete performances with, with better understanding of each other so hopefully hopefully that's the way we're we're going some of the analysis of Ireland is that it's
4: a really simple game plan that's executed brilliantly with with intensity and passion all the rest of it for you guys does it feel that simple because so we were speaking to Dennis Hickey on the show earlier in the week and he said actually uh, it takes a really complex brain to come together with this plan and then make it look simple on
5: the pitch yeah. Yeah, I think Joe's been unbelievable for us in terms of putting Joe, Les, um, you know R- Richie Murphy, um, Greg Feek with the and Simon. Um, I don't think it's a simple game plan. I think it's it's a game plan that we all understand fully, and and it's very effective. Um, you know, there's still scope for us to do whatever we like on the pitch. You know, you just have to make sure it's the right out, not make sure it's the right out but it. You know, if if it's there's something on, you, you you go for it. You know, and at the weekend we did things like that. We went for. Went for breaks and went for for gaps that weren't part of the say set pattern that we were gonna we were gonna go into and then the team just clicked into into the shape into into the way we, we want to play so say we had a, a move or whatever that was designed to be three phases you know if, if, if and something happened in the second phase we don't we don't try and force and continue to to make that play work we just switch into our natural game plan you know and that that's where you can be kind of versatile or, or, or flexible in, in in our game plan. It is, it's effective. Um, it, it's not, I don't think it's that, it is simple, It's on. Un, everyone understands it, but, you know, there's there's always room to do whatever you can express yourself in it, and no problem, you know. Thanks so much, Conor. Thanks a million.
1: Lovely stuff from Conor Murray there, Si. He's yeah. in good form.
5: Yeah, he's in great form. He'd
4: actually been running around Port Marnock Beach all morning. Uh, he's a ambassador for Maxi
1: Nutrition uh, and he was freezing cold, so I think he was actually happy to be inside <laughs> talking. At the, I, I quite liked him speaking about how he f- tries to filter information coming via his family yeah. well, coming from the media via his family to him. They're all showing off the, I don't know what they're saying to Conor Murray, what stats they're throwing at him and pretending that they came up with them. You know, Conor, you you, uh, you hit 17 box kicks in the last game and um, 12 of them were pretty much perfect. Yeah. You wonder exactly
4: why. As you was saying there, we try not to talk about rugby anymore. You can imagine if you're doing that well, it's literally all your family want to talk about. But it's the rest; it's your working life, so you probably don't want to do it too
1: much. Murray all. Murray's interesting because he started his career like a train, you know, straight into Munster, straight into the Ireland setup for the 2011 World Cup, looked amazing, and, and has never really dropped in level. But there, there is like with almost every young player, there is after the initial excitement about him, there is a lot of analysis of maybe some of the, the flaws in his game, and one of those flaws would have seem to have been that he maybe kicked the ball too much, uh, and that wasn't necessary. Didn't seem to be working out too well towards the end of Declan Kidney's range. Uh, Rain, I should say, it's gone full circle now, and that kicking he's probably got better at it for a start. But it's also much more uh, central. There's a, it seems as though whatever way Joe Schmidt does it, the 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 rest of the game revolves around his box kicking a lot yeah. more. So there's actually a point to what he's doing.
4: Yeah, he's been quoted a few times saying there was. The trajectory or the height of those kicks weren't quite right in training. Schmidt would stay with him and do, you'll do 50 or 100 more till it's exactly as it should be, which sounds quite simplistic, and you expect other coaches to have done that. But whatever communication skills Schmidt has, he seems to be able to just make it click in people's brains. And the other thing that Murray was saying to me as well, not necessarily so much in the interview, but afterwards, that there's such clarity. What they do in training, all the players know exactly the way it's going to manifest itself on the pitch on the Saturday or the Sunday and that gives you real confidence as well if you know that thing you're being pestered about and no matter how hard Schmidt's been on you if you know exactly the function it'll have on the on the game then it's much easier to do and easier to perfect
3: yeah and i, I just kind of it's interesting that Owen mentioned that time when people were constantly slating Connor Murray for kicking the ball and that's mm. two years ago you know, that's maybe it, not even that.
1: Vincent Brown still does it as um, on, on yeah. TV a couple of weeks ago, spending about <laughs> 10 minutes dissecting Conor Murray's box. I think we should do a podcast
3: game. special on Vincent Brown's uh, sports, uh, sports specials, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, do you think that, that basically Kidney had the right idea, but not the coaching ability to impress on Conor Murray how important it was to get it right? Or the maybe even the work ethic that Schmidt has to say, right, we're not leaving the pitch until we get this right. Or is that deeply unfair to Technicny?
4: Maybe it's that like tough love taken to the nth degree. Maybe it's just that Schmidt there's no end to how hard he'll push somebody to get that done. Whereas maybe other coaches just leave and go. Oh, you're nearly there. I'm sure it'll come right. Well, the down.
3: humane thing to do would be to let you leave the training pitch. So I'm going to allow you to do that. Yeah, it's funny. If Mirf- it doesn't have that button,
1: it's funny you mentioned kidney. I was watching the. I, I love when Ireland win a big game like this. I do like to lap up all the TV coverage. So I went back and watched BBC last night and uh, watched all the worthy analysis. I hadn't seen all of it uh, on Sunday. Uh, it's a. It's funny. I, there's all, the RT panel is in a strange place at the moment. There are all these sharp new voices in there. Recent legends of the professional game in Shane Horgan and Ronan O'Gara. In the middle of it all, though, for two more games, sits George Hook, still ignoring the questions he's asked in order to throw out some, some sort of contrary view. Pre-game he was asked, which except Joe Schmidt brought a great mental strength to the Ireland team? Then he goes into this big, long answer that has nothing to do with the question that was asked. Speaking essentially about how Kidney got a raw deal how Eddie O'Sullivan got a raw deal for how they're coached and how Joe Sh- how they, uh, for how they coach the team and how Joe Schmidt is basically lucky that everyone in the media is kissing his ass rather than doing any sort of serious analysis. He's then asked about Ireland's centre partnership and he goes off on one about how it's such a disgrace that Ireland have to start a guy not born in the country. going, Which is an interesting enough debate, but not necessarily for about five minutes before a game starts. In the meantime, the problem cuts to O'Gara and Horgan on the side of the pitch. and The two of them go through... Three or four really specific areas of the game that are going to be affected by the conditions. The specific type of kicking each out half will try. The focus on on the ball and the tackle rather than the body, you know, getting the perfect height for a pass to land. All these kind of things. I was just quite struck by. There's only two more two more games left of George Hook, and he's been a pretty big figure in hmm. Irish rugby broadcasting maybe, over the last number we'll of years. Maybe we look
3: back on the, the, this time of great contrast being uh, placed directly in front of our eyes. You know, maybe we we'll look on that with fondness. Yeah. Um, but yeah I mean it, it is it's kind of strange because Malky Clerkin wrote a great uh, piece about it at the start of the Six Nations given that it would be Hook's last and uh, he called him a bellows in human form wheezing scorn-filled manifestos on the latest calamity to befall Irish <laughs> rugby which is uh, a pretty good line I, I think that there like there are people out there um, I, th- I think probably dwindling in number but there are people that it w- that will say that it won't be the same without without Hook you know Um to which i uh, go back to henry ford who said that if i'd asked people what they wanted they would have said faster horses i mean people always think that it's it'll be di- it's something that's different will necessarily be less you know and say on sky when andy gray left people were like oh god like without andy gray is, you know from the first broadcast sky ever did it was you know richard Keyes, andy gray and then someone comes along who's better and that's it then no one no one ever t- when was the last time anybody even mentioned andy gray to you other than through the prism of Richard Keyes's hilarious blog, that's the only time I ever think of Andy Gray. Uh, someone who will come along, and we already have them, luckily, from RT Sports perspective. Like they already have Shane Horgan and Ron O'Gara, who are brilliant, who are really, really good, and have the caps and the tries to prove it. I
4: know Shay and Donald Lennon are really good as
2: well.
3: Yeah, like there are like there's plenty of them there, and it's not a particularly sentimental business, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, if you're good, so what you're
2: saying is. No matter how attached people think they are to broadcasters, in fact, they're just interchangeable <laughs> yacking heads, which, you know, <laughs> next week they've completely forgotten all about them. As
3: long as, th- as, long as the person who comes along is better, I'm, I'm, that's unfortunately the case, isn't it? I mean,
2: th- that's
1: th- just th- the th- way it th- is. Th- there is, uh, and Hook would make this argument, there, there is the entertainment versus technical side of television. And sitting there being over-technical all day long might grate on viewers also. I, I don't think... O'Gara and Horgan are over Yeah, well, learning to, to, learning
2: to read and do sums in school might grade a little bit on the school children, Owen, but they've still got to do it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, if people think it's too technical, you know, maybe turn Just up your make station. Make
4: analysis obligatory in school?
2: Uh, no, I mean... The, the, I, well,
4: <laughs> I,
3: no, I think we're, we're getting to the nub of the, the matter here. You know, the, if, if, we, if we put it in the hands of Ron O'Gara and Shane Horgan to create a curriculum so that people will be better informed... On the the great, I mean, this is the game that's going to make our name kick. in the world.
1: <laughs> I, I found out years ago I used to g- get riled up. Hook would say something, he'd throw in a bomb, and I'd be watching it to the scream them. No, that's that's absolutely nonsensical. Getting really annoyed with him, which is obviously exactly what he wants. That's what a polarizing type of uh, character wants on TV. Whereas now he threw out th- those couple of things about nationality, uh, Jared Payne playing for Ireland. He threw out the thing about Schmidt being uh, not analyzed correctly and they just didn't land they didn't land on me anyway I think maybe
3: when you're the, tired of the, the person as opposed to annoyed by him I think that's the I think be, one of the problems the is Hook uh,
4: started at a time when the Irish rugby was a disaster zone and now that we've won 10 a row and we're consistent every year it's much harder to be a contrarian in, in that environment he still tries though
1: thanks I. Si. thanks we're gonna find out right now what's going up in second captain's football that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really
2: yeah, you can laugh i the World Cup. Co- I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, if you want know, yeah. to stay
1: alive, for right, I'd
2: say it to you, folks, I'll say it to oh. so you now. You I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see
1: them, not What you doing down here, you're man.
2: <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure to welcome these two gentlemen to the studio. Uh, one of them is uh, going to be Emmett Malone at the Irish Times. He's going to come in and talk to us about the Ayrton League, which is obviously kicking off now over the next couple of days. Richard Sadler is also going to come in and talk to us a little bit about what's been going on in... Uh Spitting. Spitting. Would he yeah.
1: prefer? He's gonna. He's gonna. We're gonna talk for fifteen minutes to Richie about whether he would prefer to be punched in the face <laughs> or spat. The
3: at. eternal question. <laughs> we're gonna to attempt to answer today.
2: We might. I think we'll ask him at that as well. Uh, I think everybody should have to say whether they'd be punched. I'm definitely spat at. Please, you know, I don't. I don't remind. Him. And not, if anybody, it's not that to, big. Yeah. It's not really that big a deal.
1: If we happen to spot anyone walking by the studio here in the Irish Times, doesn't matter who they, they are, editor, news editor, anything like that. Let's just drag them in and ask them that question. I'm sure yeah. that'll go down brilliantly. It's Time now. <laughs> For U.S. Murph.
2: Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses.
1: I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior.
0: You're being extremely
4: truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there.
3: Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series.
1: Ryan Murphy. How are you? I'm great, boys. Uh, I'm not coming to you
0: from the fair city of San Francisco. I'm coming to you from the uh, the wild climbs of the Arizona desert on our annual trip down to Scottsdale, Arizona for giant spring training, the right of American spring, buddy. We uh, We are all gathered here to to witness the rebirth, dust off your metaphors, guys.
1: Yeah, well, that, that that would explain your Twitter feed, actually, Brian. Because I saw it seems to consist at the moment of a string of near identical photos. All of them have you on <laughs> one side, Mac <laughs> on the other side. Your co-host. The only difference is there's a different San Francisco Giant standing in the middle. They're of all cutouts,
3: one. Brian, aren't they? They're they're just cardboard cutouts.
1: You know,
0: it's funny. I, we got to figure out some way to to uh, shake those up. You're absolutely right. We just you know we should might as well put like Obama in the middle of one of those ones because. <laughs> uh, just a cardboard cut out of Obama or George Bush or something, just to see if people are paying attention. Well, we're in a small room or this little broadcast booth in Scottsdale Stadium in Arizona, and all the listeners, all the, you know, they clamor to see their favorite Giants. So uh, we pose, and you're right, it's the same damn pose, probably what, 15, 16 times? So <laughs> next year we're going to hold somebody, hold like Buster Posey sideways or something for a photo. How's that?
3: Uh, and it's at or Murph, just you know, might as well boost your numbers there, Brian. Not that they need any further boosting. If anyone wants to catch up on well, that. I was
0: the, you know, you guys, you guys are so powerful and impactful. I have so many Irish followers and they just must be like, what the hell is this? Are you kidding? I, who's Joe Panic, and why is he standing between <laughs> Murph and Mac in Arizona? What's going on here? But uh, hey, there's always the unfollow button. It's always just a click away, right?
1: Are the players in a relaxed frame of mind for interviews this time of year? Oh,
0: it's unbelievable. You know, it's like, you know, these guys, are the Giants, of course, you know, I, I know it doesn't in resonate in Europe, but um, the, the World Series, three World Series championships by the Giants have made these guys into really the same figures uh, that the 49ers were in the 80s with Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and Ronnie Lott and that whole crew. And that's what these guys are now. So for us to be able to get these guys in an intimate, relaxed environment where they're just super accessible and, and you know, very, very um, chatty, is a real treat because come the season and in a sold out crowds at the ballpark, it's a little different, but in general, baseball players kind of understand over 162 games. They respect that. They respect the process. There's not, um, this particular Giants clubhouse is not, uh, it's not filled with jerks or uh, or ogres uh the way you know Barry Bonds made his whole name of being we've talked about this before he he made his whole career out of being hostile and angry towards the media and it made for a very tense clubhouse the giants are led more by Buster Posey the catcher the all-american boy and and Madison Bumgarner the ca- the pitcher who was the sports illustrated sportsman of the year and those guys just don't have that gene in them they're just much more professional much more uh accessible So as a result, sort of the whole team follows suit. So it's a long way of saying, yes, it is a very, very uh, um, relaxed and enjoyable environment.
3: Uh, I'm actually reading The Bad Guys 1 by Jeff Perlman, a book about the New York Mets in 1986. So I'm gratified to hear that my beloved San Francisco Giants aren't behaving quite as badly as the New York Mets (laughs) in uh, 1986.
0: Oh my gosh, Daryl Strawberry and uh, and Dwight Gooden, those guys were doing things uh, that that nowadays... uh, that get you suspended. Yeah, that was during the drug. Baseball was rife with drugs. As was a lot of professional American sports in the nineteen eighties. Of course, drug testing has changed all that, and awareness, and the the falls from grace that many of these guys had too. So mm. it's hard. It's rare to find anymore a player that has that kind of substance abuse problem. Although we do have one, the big star Josh Hamilton, who. Um, We've talked about him through the years. He's an amazing story because he was the greatest prospect in all of baseball, and then he completely fell off the face of the earth with severe drug addiction, and then made this almost Roy Hobbs, the natural type comeback uh, with the Texas Rangers, and became this, uh, well, with Cincinnati Res and the Rangers, became this heroic figure who overcame addiction and darn near won a World Series, hit home runs in the World Series that would have won the World Series, except for they, the Rangers blew it and now has become just just this great star in the game. Unfortunately, guys, just last week uh the news came to light that he had a, another relapse with cocaine and alcohol and will be suspended again. So, kind of memories of those days from the 80s when drug addiction ran rampant. He's he's kind of a um a bit of an out out uh, outlier these days. Most of these guys are god, they got their nutritionists and dietitians and they're taking care of themselves and seems like that era has passed for the most part of abuse.
1: Brian, big news. I don't know if you've heard the the latest, but there's a new dominant force in world sport, and that's Ireland. Ten in a, ten wins in a row in the rugby were causing upsets at the Cricket World Cup, and Potter Harrington is back, winner at the Honda Classic. <laughs>
0: hey man, I always believed. I never gave up on the Republic of Ireland. I'll always tout the green everywhere I go. i got to tell you, the Harrington win, out of nowhere, shocker. Uh, especially the way that thing was finishing with him pumping balls into, into every water <laughs> water uh, hazard he saw, but great comeback for him. I, I wondered about his mental state as he got a little older. You know, golf is such a nerves game, and it seemed like Harrington had had his day in the sun. And what a great day it was. I mean, three major championships. Come on. These guys had one of the great careers, you know, outside of Tiger Woods in the last 15 years in all of golf. So, so I mean, no no shame in fading off into the sunset. You've had a brilliant career on to being a Ryder Cup captain or whatever it would be. But to see him crop up and win again at the Honda was, was particularly uh, gratifying. A very popular win in the States. Everybody likes Harrington. So that was fun. As far as the rugby goes, guys, i got to say, uh, you just it's time for you to start sending me the names because my beloved San Francisco 49ers are in the market for signing rugby players. They've just signed uh, the huge news. Is they've signed the Australian Rugby Player of the Year, Jared Hine, who you guys probably know, and I did not until a week ago, he has signed to play American football. And apparently it was uh, in Sydney, Australia, a LeBron James-sized decision, huge news conferences, et cetera. So we don't know how that's going to go as far as his transference over. But if you guys have any Irish players who want to come over here and play for the great Jim Tom Sula and Jed York, at Levi's
1: Stadium. Let me know, guys. Yeah, we got a tweet about that suggesting we should talk to you about this this new fad for importing rugby players. I'm glad we got that mentioned. But I do want to talk about Harrington a little bit more because this... You mentioned the nerves there and Harrington, as we all know, is a man who overanalyzes... Well, he wouldn't claim he overanalyzes. He says he analyzes it just the right amount. But he he puts a lot of thought into what he does and sometimes... One would think too much thought. He said he practiced into the, into the darkness on Sunday night. The tournament went on to a Monday. And he said that on the Monday, I just stood over the putts. I wasn't confident, but I wasn't getting in my way. I was just trying so hard to tell myself that the Yips weren't back last night because he says he did suffer from the Yips last year, which is the affliction that, that can kill a career in golf.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, it, 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 like we said, it, it, it's it's a game of nerves. And in some ways, you could say Tiger Woods right now is a victim of of the yips some have said it does he have the chipping yips you guys you know last seen on the golf course stubbing his chips all over the place so if it can happen to the great and legendary and um, impenetrable Tiger Woods it certainly can happen to Patrick Harrington and, and I think he's so funny because he's so open about it you know most guys don't want to talk about it it's the big it's the why word it's like talking about having the shanks you know uh, it's like just things in golf are so mental you know like unlike other sports rugby you know cricket uh, you know whatever you guys want to talk about as it, it where, where you react to the to the sport to the uh, to the ball in golf you you have to create the reaction to go to a golf ball and that that has through the center through the decades felled many a man because it, you have too much time to think and the human mind's Franties come to the floor, and Harrington, unfortunately, was one of those guys where you could just see it, man. He's almost one of these guys, you, you didn't even have to look inside his head, you could see his angst and stress, and I, I wondered if the guy could even hold it together, and uh, sometimes I wonder when he stands over a shot, can he, even, can he even pull the trigger? I mean, nobody has a pre-shot preparation like him, he tends to be a very laborious player, so for him to overcome that, especially like I mentioned earlier about hitting that ball into the water on 17 when he he looked like he was going to blow his lead and then hitting a drive on 18 into the bunker and having to birdie from the bunker, quite a, just a remarkable achievement for the guy. So now what does this mean going forward? You know, the masters is a month away. You know, I I don't know. I, I would be, I would be hesitant to think that this would, you know, Mark Harrington as a, as a contender at Augusta national, but who knows? Maybe we'll witness one of these great uh, you know mental comeback stories. Uh, what is he now in his late thirties? I don't have his age exactly. He's forty three, um, Yeah, you know, you're
1: being very generous there, Brian. He's well into his forties at this stage.
0: Forty
3: three, yeah. Forty three. Forty three yep. now?
0: Yep. Oh gosh. Okay, well this you know. And it's a monumental achievement for him to to win at that age. It's very hard to win over the age of forty. We're seeing Phil Mickelson. Burnout in the United States uh, at age 40. Uh, let's see, he'll be 45, I think, at this U.S. Open. He's still trying to win that U.S. Open. Heck, he made the news this week by saying he was too tired to play a practice round at Augusta National because he had just played a practice round at another super fancy private club in America called Seminole. And a lot of people were making a lot of sport out of that, saying, You want to talk about first world problems? I'm too tired <laughs> from playing my fancy <laughs> Seminole club I'm too tired to play at a custom national so these guys over 40 man they are they're, they're getting by on fumes and that's Harrington so uh, again makes it all the more remarkable that he was able to pull it out
1: a big issue coming into the Masters might be that he has to play too much golf Murphy noticed this did uh, th- yeah. th- this story developing over the last couple of days
3: he basically uh, at the start of the year wrote a letter to every single tournament on the USPGA tour because he had, his ranking had fallen to whatever it was 297 before uh, the win last week and every one of them replied, and Pork Harrington being the kind of guy that he is, now that he's won in dural he 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 at the Honda, he reckons any other golfer would say, Right, okay, I don't need to play all these tournaments, I've qualified for the Masters. But for the next four weeks, four tournaments said, Please, Pork, we'd love to have you as a sponsor's invite. Uh and he feels <laughs> that he can't go back in his word now, Brian. Uh, that he's he said he's he's gonna play in these tournaments. So he can't go back in these words. He's and he said himself, it's terrible. Preparation for the U.S. masters, but I owe people some favors. I mean, this is uh, a measure of the guy, I suppose.
0: Oh, it's is Harrington in a nutshell. In fact, when when his career is over, that that might be you know one of the the signature anecdotes to describe the guy's career. I mean, that's just that's who he is. He's the, gives of himself too much, you know. I mean, uh, I was reading up on his. You know, he's famous now as he's gotten older and older. His press conferences and his his answers can just go on and on and on and on and on. And he almost like does a self-examination with himself while he's answering a question. So God knows what, what, if you had a peek inside of Patrick Harrington's head, what was, what what kind of demons are in there or what kind of um, need that he feels to be nice to everybody. But, you know, they say to be, you know, like we're witnessing to circle back to the giants and, and and the success they've had in San Francisco and that their star player Buster Posey, they're saying one of the most important things he's had to learn is how to say no. You gotta say no to people and you gotta sometimes be a little bit of a jerk or have your agent say no or whatever. Harrington should probably say no to one or two of those guys and I understand. I mean it's a very noble gesture and I and I get where he's coming from, but, you know, things change, circumstances change, times change. Maybe he could perhaps tell a couple of those tournaments, I'll make it up to you down the road or maybe, you know, maybe I'll uh I'll send you a fruit basket or something. To uh, <laughs> but he'll be he'll be an ash by the time the U.S. Masters rolls around. Man, the guy will be fried out. He's already he'll be practicing in the dark for the next four weeks and uh, walking around like a zombie. But that's the beauty of Harrington. That's why we love uh, watching him, and, and uh, you guys proudly claim
1: him as one of your own. You said that American fans were happy with his win. Would on the golf circuit would he be a popular figure there as he is here? Yeah, I mean,
0: make no mistake. I don't want to say he's Arnold Palmer. You know, I mean, it's not like people are clamoring to touch the hem of his garment. But uh, but he's well liked for sure. We and we've talked a million times about the uh, you know the Irish presence in America. You guys know it quite well. That generally Irish players start a step ahead of the other foreign players because there's a fondness and a connection with so many Irish Americans here in the states. So generally, you know, Rory benefits from that a little bit too, and and Darren Clark a little bit too. But Harrington especially because of his just his personality and his demeanor. So yeah, I think most people were, were were happy to see it. He's uh he's always treated people kindly and I think that, you know, again circling back to Barry Bonds, uh what goes around comes around, right? You reap what you sow. So his his behavior through the years has been such that he's never made an enemy around here. So I, again, I'm not going to say he's still Mickelson, you know, in terms of popularity, but he's certainly a guy who people will clap for and say, Oh, Harrington won. Oh, that's good. That's fun to see. As opposed to the kid he was going against. Nobody even knew who that kid was Berger, some rookie. uh So definitely a, a more well-received win. And especially because of the journey he's been on, you know, a major champion, three-time major champion who lost his way and who's writing letters to try to get into tournaments to fight his way back and win in a playoffs like that. It's uh it's something that I think, the golf uh the golf community enjoys i think it's the back-to-back win the prior win in the u.s was by a, a another nice story a guy named james Hahn, uh, who was born in korea but raised in america in california northern california particularly another guy who everywhere he went had always treated people well with a great personality and and made his win at riviera popular a lot of people kind of sit back to back good feel good stories on the pga tour and interestingly enough, both guys were ranked 297th in the world before each event. James Hahn was 297, and he won at Riviera. And the very next week, Harrington was 297, and he won at the Honda Classic. So just a kind of statistical oddity. Mm-hmm. But the contrast is this other guy who's one of the big stars of the golf tour these days, is the guy named Patrick Reed, who was in the hunt, actually, at Honda. And he's famous. You know, we could do a whole nother show on him. I mean, he's... He's made all kinds of enemies everywhere he goes in his young age, to the point where he doesn't even have a relationship with his mom and dad. And the story, famously, is that he asked to actually have his parents escorted from the grounds last year at a major championship because he didn't want to see him. I mean, this is like awful stuff. You contrast that with Harrington, and people are definitely more happy to to cheer for him over a, over a villain like Reed.
1: What's the plan for today, Brian? What does a sports broadcaster in Arizona do once they finish <laughs> their show?
0: Boys, you know the deal. I'm headed straight to the ball yard to do my American duty of grabbing a beer and a hot dog and sit in the sun and watch the leisurely pace of a baseball game unfold before my eyes. I'm going to cleanse the soul, boys. It's time for all of us baseball uh, poets to get, uh, to get romantic. So look for more tweets of me. Uh, I'll be standing with a hot dog vendor. You know, just take a picture, <laughs> standing with
1: the... Me, a hot dog vendor, and Paulie Mac. Yeah, You're just make sure Paulie Mac right? is there. Yeah, make sure Paulie Mack is there. wouldn't work out. <laughs> Listen, Brian, enjoy the day, and thanks very much for talking to us live. From All the best, guys. Take care.
0: Stop
1: it. That's one of those things. Stop
0: it. How many players can do this? Death Man can never die. He's 34 years old. It's one of those teams? Death man can never die.
5: Only the actors who play him. No,
0: he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh,
5: yeah.
3: He's
1: got more of a tandem, maybe. I gotta say, spring training sounds like a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like watching sport and having a few beers and a few hot dogs. But without the. Uh, nagging sense at the back of your mind that maybe if your team lost, that that might put a bit of a dampener on it?
1: Oh, it makes no difference.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're just there.
1: Yeah, Well fairness, baseball, even in mid-season, is like that. you got 100.
3: You got 161 other games. <laughs> you you can know, if, you're watching, if you're watching one game, there's only 161 of other games that you can hope they win.
1: Uh, just to mention, well, I was talking at the start of the show about interviewing guys, interviewing people on this program, and then... Hoping they do well afterwards. Mm. Now in the case of Elliot too, we'd, we'd never heard of Elliot before he came in and charmed us after winning the Dublin Marathon. But a couple of guys we had on TV last year, Podrick Harrington and Paul Galvin, yeah, uh, both had uh, Harrington we've talked about now. But uh, big Paul Galvin is also back from the big time.
3: Well, he maybe he fell back in love with sport. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't want to take too much credit. No, for I, it. It. it's not really. This isn't about me. It's about <laughs> Paul Galvin. <laughs> and. uh... Yeah, he's back. It's it's uh, very interesting news. I mean, you know, you look at it. It's maybe it's as simple as he took last year off to write a book, and he ain't done yet. You know, and he has written a book, publicized the book. Uh, it's gone down really, really well, and uh, he says, "Right, okay, I'm 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 ready to do this again." I mean, straight away, the thing about um, Galvin returning is that we don't know where he'll return in the pitch as well, which makes it's kind of like because. Tommy Walsh coming back from Australia. There's a lot of moving parts in this Kerry team mm. which make every team announcement and then every subsequent game where you get to watch who's playing where and you all have a, an inbuilt familiarity with, with Kerry players anyway just because they're uh, at the business end of it every year. There's talk that Galvin will be will be a six. Peter Crowley won an all-star at number six last year. Um, so it might be pretty rough on him uh, whether he could play at wing-back. Uh I mean, there was an article in the Sunday Times last week about how, what six forwards Kerry are going to play. I mean, look at all these options. So now we suddenly have a former footballer of the year uh, at wing half forward uh, back in the mix again. So I mean, it is. It's. It's. There's no guarantee he's going to make make the team. No, and
1: apparently he sent a text. One of the Kerry players happened to be doing uh, media gig during the week when the news broke and uh, I've completely forgotten which player it is now but he was asked about uh, Galvin's return obviously and said oh, you know, it's, it's great all those sort of things he actually texted the squad apparently and said that he was to announce the news and just to make it clear that he wasn't coming back with any errors or graces or any assumptions yeah. along those lines which is pro- probably a good thing to do um, maybe what <laughs> you're both smiling <laughs>
3: well no I mean it's, it's it's just you should probably just turn up to training and just take that as red really you know I mean what <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ken, you can barely stop laughing here. Is, is no, it, what's wrong I, I, with texting I, I, the lads and saying, "Listen, I'm coming back. No, no or of crisis."
2: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I I don't know if that phrase was used, but that's what the way it was reported. yeah, no. I, I think you're just overthinking I, it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought it would be any other way.
3: Yeah, I mean, just just head back in there. They they know you. They love you. They follow you on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, they just relax, get back into training, take it from there. But like, that's the respect Paul Galvin has for the Kerry team. The Kerry jersey on. Thanks, Garon. Thank you, Owen Thank you, Kenny.
2: Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Owen. Thanks again, and thanks very much for
1: listening. We'll talk to you during the football podcast. Take care. What's <laughs> <laughs> on is that? That's
2: the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Does does survive?